0: You can open your Bibles with me, Um, John chapter 14, and uh, we'll continue along in our series, The King Whose Scepter is a Towel. Now, I want to ask you a question. What is it like to navigate a new era, okay? How do you navigate change? Uh, When you think about the last hundred years in our own kind of recent history, there has been a lot of change in the world, a lot of innovation, innovation. you know, it's it's interesting, I was reading a book, uh, where's my, my man, Charlie Perusi, yeah, me and Charlie read a book together called The Book of Charlie, and uh, The Book of Charlie was written by an editor and columnist with the Washington Post, who wrote about his neighbor across the street in Kansas named Charlie Perusi, right? <laughs> no, Charlie White, his name was Charlie White, and and Charlie is an interesting case study because Charlie was born in 1905, and he lived to be 109 years old. I mean, think about the change that Charlie saw. Now, Charlie particularly saw a change in the world of medicine. He had a, a brother-in-law when he was first starting out in life who got him interested in becoming a doctor. He looked up to his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law went to Northwestern. He's like, I got to go to Northwestern too. He applies to Northwestern, gets rejected, and then proceeds to get on a train and go up to Northwestern and talk his way into getting into Northwestern. So Charlie learns about becoming a doctor in an era when doctors did two things. Uh, Thing number one, when someone was sick, you didn't really actually have means of curing them, so you just made them comfortable. And then you hoped that the body would do its thing. Secondly, you popped their tonsils out. That's right. Everyone got their tonsils removed. Um, This is pre-antibiotics, pre-anesthesia. So Charlie is taught how to remove tonsils from people. Now he's going and he's paying a home visit. This is one of my favorite stories. He goes and he pays a home visit and he takes um, ether, he puts a guy under, and he goes into his metal medical bag, and he's looking for his wire. That's right, that's how they removed the tonsils. You had a sharp wire, it formed a lasso, you put it around the, tos- uh, the tonsil and you pulled the loop, right? Pop! Um, Charlie's looking in his bag, and there's no wire. He's like, I put this guy under already, what am I gonna do? So he starts looking around the room, and he sees a picture on the wall, and he starts thinking, picture, wires. He takes the picture down, he sterilizes the wire, and then he pops the guy's tonsils out. Now, I'm telling you all of that to say sometimes change is a good thing. (laughs) I'm so thankful that we live in a world with antibiotics and anesthesia and surgical rooms and training and cures and no picture wires, Now, this is actually the same message that Jesus is going to be telling us this morning in this series, The King Whose Scepter is a Towel. Remember, we're in the farewell discourse, and he's telling his disciples, I'm about to leave you. Now, imagine that. Imagine you're in that upper room, and you're one of these guys who has spent your life following Jesus, watching the master, hearing his teaching, And then he comes along and says, hey, I'm ushering in a new era. I'm about to go, but it's for your good. Do You think it's good? I mean, after all, which would you prefer? Uh, Would you rather have Jesus in the flesh? Would you rather be able to see his facial expressions, hear his voice, hear his teaching personally, watch his miracles, or have the Holy Spirit with you? And if your answer to that question is number one, I think the text this morning is really gonna surprise you and it's going to encourage you and it's going to show us that Jesus truly did usher in a new era for us. So we're gonna pick up and see this new era first described in verses 12 through 14. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So imagine you're one of the disciples, and Jesus is telling you right now that you could, you have the potential to do Greater things than he did. How do you feel? Yeah, right, Jesus. I mean, we watched you feed 5,000 people. We heard you speak and a a storm halted. You're telling me that we're going to do greater things than you did? I can barely tie my shoe. Now, this idea of greater that he's talking about is not so much what they can do as when they get to do it. Uh, he's talking about a new era here. Uh, John the Baptist, he was referencing, Jesus was referencing him earlier in the book, and he was using the same exact word in Matthew eleven eleven. He says there, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him now here's the deal with john the baptist he was considered the greatest prophet who had ever lived and jesus is saying that you and i living when we do are greater well how does that work i mean let's just think about this mathematically for a minute statistically speaking Someone in the world right now is like the, the, the least spiritually influential, uh, has the least amount of spiritual gifts in the world. I mean, mathematically speaking, that's got to be true, right? Someone has to occupy that position. And maybe you're sitting there in your seat, and you're like, well, I think maybe it could be me. And God's in heaven, and he's kind of nodding his head, and he's saying yes. But here's the thing. Even if that were true, Jesus is saying in the passage this morning that in terms of position and potential, you are greater than the greatest prophet who has ever lived. Why? Well, it's because what we know about him, his completed work, his life, his death, his resurrection, and because also the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. You can think of verse 12 as Jesus saying, Now that you live in the era of antibiotics and anesthesia and medical care where cures happen, do you want to go backwards to wires? And the answer, of course, is no. He wanted his disciples and he wanted us to realize that we live in the greatest era of spiritual privilege that there has ever been. Did you know that? Did you know that about your life? How is that possible? Let's keep reading verses 15 through 17. He says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Now, I want to break apart what he's saying in verse 16. He's talking about there another advocate. The Greek is alas parakletas or alas paraklete. Paraklete, means something like someone called alongside to help, encourage, provide counsel. If you have different translations of the Bible, uh, perhaps NIV or ESV, we're working through the NLT, you'll see different names uh, uh, translated for paraclete, helper, comforter, counselor. You probably see one of those in your translation this morning, and I want to assure you that each one of those translations is appropriate because the Holy Spirit provides all of these forms of assistance to us. He also uses that term, another. Now, in Greek, there are actually two words that in the English are translated another. One of the words that is translated another means another of the same kind. So imagine, for example, we're all getting in a bus together and we decide, you know, it's time to get our meat on. We go to the Brazilian grill and as the meat starts flowing and the waitstaff brings it around, one of the waitstaff brings along a steak that's ribeye with garlic. And you eat a piece of that and you say, sir, I'll have another. Now say, The other translation is another word, and it's another of a different kind. So say you're an individual, and you're at the table, and you're like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of garlic, and I just took a bite out of that steak, and it didn't taste very good, so I'll have another kind of steak without garlic, which, by the way, is blasphemy. (laughs) But that's another of a different kind. So Jesus says, "Allahs." paraclete. And he's using the first implication of the word another. I am sending you another of the same kind of paraclete. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am sending one to you who is just like having me with you physically, only better. Now you might think, well, how's that possible? How is it better to have the Holy Spirit than the physical presence of Jesus? Well, just imagine what it would be like trying to relate to Jesus if he was a physical presence on the earth right now. What would the airports be like, for example, of people trying to make their way to Jerusalem? It would be packed. Maybe people would be having little campouts or something around the city of Jerusalem. It would be infeasible. But here, we see that the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus, only he's not a physical presence. He dwells in us. So no airplane ride required. The triune presence of God available to you and to me, my own experience, my own relationship with God via the Holy Spirit, 24-7, 365, the Holy Spirit living in you, the Holy Spirit working in you. And he has a powerful ministry. You know, when Jesus is talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the text this morning, he uses three pictures to help us understand what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Uh, The pictures you'll see as we make our way through the text are, one, the Holy Spirit is an advocate. Secondly, he's a renovator. And thirdly, he's a teacher. Now, that first picture, advocate, comes right out of that word, paraclete that we see in the text. Advocate. John uses this word paraclete, and he's the only writer in the New Testament who uses it. Four times when he uses the word, he's writing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And another time he uses the word, he's using it to write about the ministry of Jesus. So if you look at 1 John 2.1, for example, it says, if anyone does sin, We have an advocate, a paraclete, who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. I think that's so encouraging. Scripture is telling us that we have two paracletes, the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us, and then secondly, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who stands at the right hand of the Father, praying for us and pleading for us. Now, this idea of advocate, what is that? Well, it's a legal term. It's a counselor who comes around you in a legal setting. Now, you might think of it in today's terms of someone who comes alongside as legal counsel. It's a little different, though. Legal counsel today... I don't know about you, but I find that a stressful experience where I'm being billed by five minute intervals. I'm on a phone call with someone and it's $350 an hour and I'm like, boy, I don't want to mince any of my words in this conversation. I'm not going to tell stories about myself. We're not laughing. We're just getting right down to business. That's not the kind of counselor that the text is talking about. No, this is a close friend who comes alongside of you as a character reference in a legal situation. This close friend says, you know, I know her. I know what she's like. I've done life with her. She wouldn't have done what she's being accused of. He's our advocate. And you look at His ministry in the life of Jesus, he performed the same kind of ministry in the life of Jesus. In fact, When you look at the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is Jesus' closest relationship from start to finish through his life. When he's conceived, when he's born, as he's growing up as a child, as he's baptized, as he's being led in ministry into the wilderness first, and then as he's doing ministry and he's performing signs and wonders and acts in the name of God, and then as he goes to the cross, and then as he's risen again from the dead, all along The Holy Spirit is with him. Sinclair Ferguson says this, The Spirit was Jesus's counselor. He bore witness to him. He was with him through every step of his life. He knew him best. We might indeed say that he was our Lord's best friend. Now think about why, if that's true, We need the Holy Spirit. What's your purpose in life? I keep saying this. The purpose that God has ordained for your life, above everything, is he wants you to know Jesus. He wants you to follow Jesus with your life. He wants you to grow in this life to look like Jesus. And if you're going to do that and do it well, don't you think you want to hear from his best friend? You know, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life is to be whispering in your heart at all times, a quiet whisper. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. Follow him. Learn about his ways. Don't fall away from him. Stay tethered with him in this life. That's what he's doing all the time. That's how he is our advocate in life. As of course we grow in Him, the Bible also says that the Holy Spirit is empowering us to do the things that He's encouraging us to do. This is indeed a new era. As we go into the next picture, Jesus, again, references this idea of a home. You might recall last week that he was using the metaphor of the home to get us thinking about heaven. And now he changes the metaphor in the text. And he says, now, you're the home. You're the place, the location where the God of the universe wishes to dwell. And so the Holy Spirit is a renovator. He is making us into a God-worthy home. Look with me at verse 18. He says, No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Now, I want you to notice something in this passage here. Um, Jesus is saying that there is a fault line that divides humanity. And it has everything to do with how people view him how they conduct their lives with respect to him. He says that there are some people who love me and they obey my commandments. Remember, we said last week as we were looking at the way home, how I enter into a relationship with God, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that of himself. And there's other people who don't understand that don't value that don't know that judas is a little confused he hears jesus saying this and judas is still thinking kind of of jesus remaining on earth physically and he's like jesus how are you gonna sit on the throne in jerusalem and the world's not gonna see you how does that work Again, Jesus is correcting his disciples. Guys, you're not hearing what I've been saying all along. I I don't intend right now to rule from Jerusalem. I've got a much different plan in mind. But don't worry. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am sending the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in your heart, to live in you. When you think about what the Holy Spirit does as renovator, okay, we talk about the renovation process in our mission statement. We use it a little bit different of a word, transformation. Now, when we express our mission statement, we're talking about essentially what does it mean to have a relationship with God in this life? What does he want from you? The first word in the mission statement is worship. And of course, God wants you to center your life upon him. He wants you to acknowledge him. He wants you to worship him. That's what worship is. Transformation is the next word. And this is that renovation process where God is changing you from the inside out. And we believe that God calls us to be a part of a local church so that that process can happen. The Holy Spirit using the people of God to build us up. And then thirdly, we have this idea of mission where the church goes and puts that change into action. We serve people, we love them, and we tell them about Jesus. So this idea of renovation, perhaps, for example, you're struggling with the truth in your life. You've kind of become dependent in your character and your behavior on being wishy-washy with the truth. Sometimes you tell partial truths or half-truths, or sometimes to advance your own agenda, you tell outright untruths. What is the renovator going to do with that? Well, he's going to come into your interior and he's going to change how you think about truth. He's going to teach you to value it, to understand that without valuing truth, we would always be deceived in this world. We wouldn't know up from down, right from left. We need to know what is true. The renovator comes into our heart and teaches us to love the things that God loves. Now when I think about this process of renovation, I I acknowledge freely that it's not an easy process. Uh, I was talking to our district president. I was meeting out with him in, in Connecticut um, just a week and a half ago, and we were talking about a renovation process together. And you know, he was involved um, in the late '90s uh, as as the leader of the renovation process at Grace Chapel in Lexington. And as he was leading that process, he was like, man, it was such a hard process because renovating versus new builds is so difficult. Here's one example of why that, uh, what that looks like, cost, right? Cost is one factor. When you do a new build, it's much cheaper. A renovation, he said, they did the math and it's actually about twice the cost per square foot. It's just more expensive, then we got to talking about it a little more and we're like, yeah, you know, but sometimes the cost and the effort is worth it. Why? Because they were Grace Chapel in Lexington. And we're Osterville Baptist Church in 824 Main Street. There's something bigger going on. It's it's worth the effort and the energy. Now, think about that with respect To how God looks at you. You know, he doesn't just kind of tear you down and start over again with someone new. No, God says there's no amount of energy or effort that he wouldn't expend to change you, to make you into a dwelling that is worthy of him inhabiting. He would leave heaven and he would dwell amongst us. He would go to the cross. He would shed his own blood. He would send the Spirit of God to live in you. And you think about that renovation process, and we kind of tend to think of it as kind of linear. You know, I'm growing. And I've solved this issue, and then I'm going to just go to this issue, and then I'll solve that, and I just keep going up. But that's not how the growth process tends to work. Um, The growth process sometimes is confusing. It's sometimes like, why is God working on this part of my life right now? I love this uh, quote from C.S. Lewis. He uses the same analogy. Lewis says, imagine yourself as a living house, God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. And he does not, it does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he doing? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Isn't that what Jesus said? All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Now, what kind of palace does God want to dwell in? Something like that? And I'm very sorry, I did have to do that a second time. Bella worked far too hard on that picture. So, We're also talking about the front exterior of the church, and actually right over there, we wanted to give a gift to the community, uh, some kind of art sculpture, and I thought that would be a good candidate. (laughs) Some of you are like, dude, you will drive people away from the church. Do not do that. No, the kind of palace that God is building you into, we know it in the scripture, the fruit of the spirit, one of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The triune God longs to dwell in Christians who deepen in character, who don't get caught up in the age of outrage, who pick up the towel and serve their neighbor, who lovingly look at their life and say, you know, I don't lose anything by giving my life away. My life is a gift that I get to give to others. So the Spirit dwells in you and he renovates and he makes you into that kind of house, a God-worthy house. And he does that by this third word picture or this third word. He does it by being our teacher. Jesus says, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So we're not going to go into this third word picture deeply this week. We'll get to that later, but I do want to just think about this for just a second. Why would they need the Spirit to be a teacher? Why would they need the Spirit to call things to mind? Well, think about the human memory. They've been walking with Jesus day after day. They've heard literally thousands of hours of teaching from Jesus I don't know about you, but I can't remember sometimes what I did yesterday. Uh, Here's another example. Do you remember what I preached four weeks ago? (laughs) And Some of you are like, "Uh uh-uh. And I don't fool myself. I understand that that's how the human memory works. And yet, when you look at the scriptures, when you look at the gospels, We have this incredible recollection of the sayings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. How did that happen? The teacher. And now I can interact with the Bible. I can go and read the Gospels and the New Testament epistles. If I'm asking myself the question, well, what was Jesus like? And and what would Jesus want me to do with my life? I can open up the Spirit-inspired Word of God and be taught. I'm telling you, church, we live in a new era. I mean, think about what it's like to be in a new era are you wanting to go back to a world where there is no interstate highway system? Do you want to live perhaps hundreds, even thousands of miles away from family and not be able to get on an airplane to go see them or be able to pick up a telephone so that you could talk to them or, you know, a smartphone so you can FaceTime with them? Do you want to go back to a world where most diseases, if not all, we're incurable. I don't. I want to step into the new era. And Jesus tells us that this new era is really special. Listen to what he says in verse 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. You know, as you think about what brings peace into your life, Jesus is saying, it's not your career. It's not the wealth that you can build. It's not the relationships that you can create with people. It's not any of those things. It's the fact that the God of the universe inhabits you. And that brings a kind of peace that no other kind of peace can give you in this world. Well, how does that happen? Well, it's by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is your advocate. He's your renovator. He's your teacher. And when you learn to conform your life to what he's doing, it ushers in a totally new era in your life. Let's pray. Father, as we looked at your word this morning, we were just struck by the promises of Jesus. A promise, Lord, that we can have real peace, that we don't have to live a troubled life or an anxious life, that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, dwells in us. We thank you for this word this morning. We pray that this word would translate, that that it wouldn't just be words on a page that we read or words in our ears that we would hear, but they would become words that we internalize in our hearts that, that would change the way we live. Renovate us. Do that next little project in us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.